Did you know that you can double your value to KPFT? As a listener sponsor, by volunteering your time at KPFT, you can increase KPFT's shareholder value. Yes, you heard correctly. That's corporate speak for improving productivity. Certain corporations will match your volunteer hours with money. That's right. Your volunteer hours translate into dollars so that you've basically doubled your value to KPFT. Yes, time is money. So roll up your sleeves and lend a hand. Thank you for supporting KPFT Houston, Radio for Peace.
This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always más. Tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. This is Tony Diaz. We are poised at one hour before the polls close today, Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. And this is a perfect metaphor for our situation this year. And I think people will be looking back in history to these moments before reality kicks in. So we are waiting for people to get in the line. Of course, we began telling you long ago to, to vote early. There's still one hour left for the polls to close. So we are live in Houston, Texas, 6 to 7 p.m. You have until you get to the polls to 7 p.m. to get in line. If you get in line, they got to take your vote. Now, we don't know what you did <laughs> waiting so long, but there you have it. Today, we're going to share with you some powerful political prose to set you in the mood, but also to give an idea to what happens later and also convey our frame of mind at this time. At the top of the show, you're going to hear an essay by high-tech Aztec, a veteran of Nuestra Palabra, one of the co-founders of the Libertad Ficantes, founder of Tejas. And he's going to read an essay that he was inspired to create after the last presidential debate. And as you will recall, Donald Trump had dodged a question regarding climate change and how pollution affects people in Houston, Tejas. Well, Brian has been taking us there for years. His father leads a toxic tour in that area. And we've got pictures and receipts to show that it's our community members in barrios like Manchester who are breathing those toxins. Donald Trump neglected those folks, just like he's neglected so many other things in his answers. Brian Paras has an answer for him. We'll share that. The piece has been posted in different areas, including latinorebels.com. We're also going to hear from Monica Rohr, who's on the editorial board of the Houston Chronicle. She writes about how the Latino situation has been hurt badly by the COVID-19 epidemic. However, she approaches it from a stance of the immediate, but also historically, because in her powerful editorial, she touches on what Dr. Maggie Rivas Rodriguez is doing to chronicle the voices of our community so that History understands the impact that was going on right now. That's what we're trying to do as artists. This isn't just news. This isn't just poetry. This isn't just fiction. This is real life. I don't even feel like making up stuff right now. You know, I'm by, tra I'm by training a fiction writer. I don't want to make anything up. I want to deal with reality. I want to shape it right now. But I think what's really quintessential is that it's up to our generation of artists to let the future know what our tensions and struggles were. Nothing is really clear at this moment. All we know is that constant human situation of acting. And sabes que, vato? We're going to chop that wood. That's what we do. As Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having to say, or when we became Libre Traficantes, when Arizona banned Mexican studies, we chop the wood. We create. We create content. We're resilient. That's why we're going to talk to Monica Roar at large. Latinos are underrepresented up and down the board. I'm so glad that she has that role at the Houston Chronicle. Additionally, Dr. Rivas Rodriguez, 
has been chronicling the stories of Mexican American veterans and then Latino veterans, and now the story of our community in the epidemia, which you'll hear about when we talk to to Monica. Additionally, let's get rid of COVID nineteen. I'm going to share with you a couple essays I wrote to teach our community how to avoid COVID-19. And these are from some blog posts that I did. They are titled Independence from COVID-19 or the Spanish version, Independencia del COVID-19. I've got the English version, the Spanish version. They're at my blog on TonyDiaz.net. I'm happy to bring them to you because we have to instruct our community how to avoid COVID-19. The big tests are coming. Well, they never stop. Let's be real. For us, we got 24-7 tests. These tests that I'm addressing have to do with our instinct to be with family, to celebrar nuestras raíces. Our corazón nos lleva a estar junto con nuestra familia. We can't do it. And I dramatized my struggle during Hispanic Heritage Month when I almost caved in. You know, I was able to <laughs> to stay strong during birthdays and other events, etc. But I almost caved in. It was my son who brought me to my senses, and I want to share that with you in English and Spanish. Additionally, we'll have a long interview with Monica to talk about some of the different implications of the COVID-19 crisis. So we're bringing it to you from all angles. Can't wait to convene with you after we get the election results. But here we are, permanently in media res, hanging in space. The magic of my voice will always be hanging on this note right now, poised before those ballots are counted, present, always in this moment, wondering who will lead this country, who will lead the city, who will lead the county, and wondering if this is the moment that this nation will pay attention to our electorate. I think that will happen this time around as my voice will ring through history and our contributions will live on. This is Tony Diaz. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. Got a lot of people to thank besides our ancestors, elders, and cultura. want to thank Rodrigo Bravo for remotely mixing this show and so many others. Appreciate him being so generous with his genius. Additionally, Roxana Guzman has come through with graphics and organizing. She is a comm specialist. She goes above and beyond the call of duty. And there's a lot of other folks bringing you the deep levels of our show, including Leti Lopez, who curates a lot of the music. Shouts out to all the legacy Nuestra Palabra Veteranos and all the Libertad Picantes. Stay tuned. We're changing the world.
presidential debate for this election, the moderator asked about climate change in the context of Houston, Texas. Donald Trump not only dropped the ball, he demonstrated with his meandering, off-topic responses that he is not capable of leading the nation through the current climate crisis we are facing, nor through the economic turmoil that has heavily impacted fence-line communities that he knows nothing about. He loves the environment about as much as he loves people of color, and they are inextricably related. What's worse is that he insulted the community members who live in Houston's greater East End barrios of Manchester, Harrisburg, Allendale, Pecan Park, Magnolia, and Segundo Barrio, who watched the debate as Valero's smokestacks continued to pollute their lungs with hydrogen cyanide. Many in our communities suffer chronic respiratory issues that were exacerbated after last week's 24-hour-long flare from TPC Group that darkened the skies and wafted over Cesar Chavez High School. My father and I have joined with other activists for decades in an attempt to save our neighborhood from the cancer spewing refineries in our backyards, literally. Vanessa Guillen was a newborn infant when we started organizing to relocate Cesar Chavez High School because of scenes like the one we witnessed last week. We lost that fight, so students at Chavez High School are forced to practice under a toxic cloud and many suffer from asthma like Vanessa Guillen did. She gave her life for this country despite this. Locally, Trump talks about the folks who live around the refineries having good jobs most of the folks who have worked long for these companies have moved on. Those high-paying jobs have afforded them the option to move to areas with better air quality. The jobs that do pay higher wages come at a cost to workers' health, and even they aren't protected. In two instances last year, employees at ExxonMobil and Chemco were forced to cut their way through fences or jump over them as they ran for their lives during leaks, spills, and explosions that inevitably happen. If you think that black smoke looks ominous, imagine lowering yourself on a harness in a full hazmat suit during Houston's summer heat to pressure wash the insides of toxic, volatile residue. The real high-paid employees are working from home on the West End, near the Energy Corridor, free from risk to their health. Trump bickers with Biden about the banning of fracking, but nature will ban fracking. The COVID-19 economic crisis has sent the entire oil industry into a tailspin. Fracking and oil will go the way of coal 
and it has never been a reliable source of energy. But the sun rises every day. Trump should leave his bunker. He should skip a day off the golf course. And he should take my father's Juan Parra's toxic tours past the high school built over a cancer field, past toxins spewing over residential homes, through the smoke that makes our eyes tear every day. Manchester and nearby communities are an international example of what happens when the oil industry exploits our backyard for their profits. These are the same tactics employed by the oil industry throughout the world, in the Amazon rainforest, in Ecuador, in Peru, in Canada, and here at home too. My work is the subject of an award-winning documentary, The Condor and the Eagle. The film captures pleas to the city of Houston officials and Valero to stop contaminating our neighborhoods and the lungs of our youth. On the world stage, the President of the United States abandoned the plight of Houston residents, of Tejanas to breathe clean air, to live humanely, to live cancer-free. Trump proved that not only will he abandon all international agreements to stem this attack on people of color throughout the Americas, he has also abandoned Houstonians and Texans. Texas voters must abandon him. Our lives depend on it. Coraza de piedra, piel de madera, la luna me llega, la noche me espera. Cuántas cayeron me dio de la niebla, cuántas desaparecieron, a cuántas tragaron la tierra. La vida nos mata, la prensa de sangre. Gritamos justicia cuando se nos calla. Nos sacan los ojos, nos pegan con palos, nos abren las piernas, se hacen los sordos, nacimos culpables con todas las cruces, nos miran de arriba y apunta con luces. No a la iglesia, no al Estado, mi cuerpo es mío. Que les quede claro, no a la iglesia, no al Estado, todo su aparato, cómplice, culpable, mi cuerpo, yo mando, no quiero tu ley en mí, mi, mi cuerpo, yo mando. I'm an editorial writer and columnist with the Houston Chronicle, and I'm going to be reading my latest column, which is called Historic Decimation of Latino Communities Can Only Be Grasped One Story at a Time. Juan Fierros Alvarado, beloved husband, father, and grandfather, diehard follower of the Cleveland Indians, erstwhile third baseman for the Guzman Scorpions in the Spanish-American League of San Antonio, was remembered in a funeral mass on October 17th, six months after his death from COVID-19. 
The same pandemic that stole Alvarado from his family kept him from properly mourning the 75-year-old retired store manager and man of deep faith when he died on Good Friday. His wife of 53 years and the second oldest of his four sons were also infected, forcing them to keep distant at a time when closeness was most needed. COVID-19 ripped the center from the Alvarado family, just as it has for thousands of Latino families across the United States. The pandemic has left no community unscathed, but Latinos have been especially hard hit. The scale, almost impossible to comprehend, is leaving behind a well of communal grief. On the national level, it represents what Dr. Peter Hotez, co-director of Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development, calls the historic decimation of Hispanic communities. The inability to gather together out of fear that other family members would get sick has made the already incalculable sorrow even harder to bear, Steve Alvarado, the son who also contracted COVID-19, told me. When Juan Fierros Alvarado died at Christus Santa Rosa Medical Center in San Antonio on April 10th, there were 38,000 deaths from COVID-19 in the United States, a figure his son remembers hearing on the news that night. As of Thursday, that number was 228,000 and rising. Latinos are nearly three times more likely to die of COVID-19 and almost five times more likely to be hospitalized than their white counterparts. They also represent 45% of deaths of people younger than 21 and make up a large share of the frontline workers most at risk of contracting the virus. In Texas, Latinos are 40% of the population, but make up 56% of COVID-19 deaths, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation. Each one of the losses reveals the real-life impact of a disease too often reduced to statistics or partisan bickering. Lifting up their voices is the only way to fully grasp the true toll of COVID-19 on Latinos. That's where Maggie Rivas Rodriguez and the Voces Oral History Center at the University of Texas at Austin come in. Since March, the UT journalism professor and her team which is dedicated to preserving oral histories of Latinos in war and political engagement, have posted 90 inter interviews on their website and YouTube of Latinos across the country who have been impacted by COVID-19. Over and over again, what we've seen is that the Latino voice gets not only drowned out, it doesn't even get included to begin with, Rivas Rodriguez told me. So we want to make sure that the Latino voice is included and that people can understand in 50 years all the different varieties of experiences of Latinos. The healthcare workers, grocery store clerks, migrant farm workers, teachers and students, nonprofit leaders, the people essential to keeping our country running. People such as Jesus Ruiz, the first Latino Dean of the College of Lake County in Waukegan, Illinois, who took an uncle who had contracted COVID-19 to the hospital and never saw him alive again. And Fernando Jimenez, a painter, contractor, and undocumented immigrant in Phoenix, in Phoenix, Arizona, who is st struggling with the economic fallout of the pandemic and worried about how he would pay for medical care if he gets sick. And Steve Alvarado, who is a high school principal in Savinal ISD, about an hour west of San Antonio. Before the coronavirus struck his family, he found joy in spending time with his father, talking baseball and watching old movies on TV. Even a quick visit to his parents' home with nothing more fancy to drink than a glass of ice water replenished my soul, Alvarado told me. Now he strains to find words to capture how much his father meant and how deep the pain of his absence goes. Families such as Alvarado's are the ones I think of whenever I see President Donald Trump crow about his speedy recovery from COVID-19, which was aided by experimental treatment and the kind of top-notch medical care out of reach to working-class families, many Latino. We are rounding a corner may seem like a good campaign slogan, but it's not the reality for the millions of Americans who have been infected with COVID-19. It's not what Dr. Joseph Baron sees at United Medical United Memorial Medical Center in Acres Homes, where 80% of the COVID-19 patients are Latino and entire families, all near death, have been admitted. Many are afraid to go to the hospital. 
fearful that they may contract COVID-19 and instead rely on home remedies. Others lack health insurance or avoid seeing a doctor because they are undocumented. They end up arriving in the emergency room only when they are already beyond help. It's hard, Varon told me, to get people to understand the seriousness of the virus when mixed messages abound. From a president who downplays the threat, from federal agencies that issue contradictory guidance, from elected officials who call for reopening even as cases surge. But Alvarado knows all too intimately how quickly COVID-19 can ravage a family and how vulnerable Latinos are in this pandemic. The loneliness, the isolation, the uncertainty, the fear that went through the hearts and minds of my family when we couldn't be together because we were afraid of infecting one another, he said. That's not anything that I wish on anyone. You're tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. This is Tony Diaz. We are on the countdown to the last day of the general election. And we are bringing you some powerful prose to really get your mind open and also get your foot on the pedal if you haven't gone out to vote yet because we don't know why you haven't. You put it off. Maybe we can guilt trip you or inspire you. On that note, to inspire you, we are talking to Monica Rohr, who is a Latina on the editorial board of the Houston Chronicle, and she's going to share with us a powerful essay that she wrote. First, welcome to the program, Monica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is an important day and an important topic, so I'm happy to be here. And your your essay, I mean, you're always doing great work. Really appreciate how you represent the community. And of course... Because you're Latina, you gotta not just represent us, you gotta excel at the highest level, which you do. <laughs> um, this, partic- <laughs> this particular piece, though, it, it's, it's so potent because, you know, we know you, uh, of course, uh, Dr., um, you know, we, we know uh, Dr. Rivas Rodriguez, she's a friend of the show, we know her and that work, and we know people in our community that have been affected. Uh, we wanna, Give a abrazo to Lupe Mendez, who lost his mom due to COVID-19. But this is really profound because I feel that it hasn't been touched enough. You've got to come to the newspaper, obviously, with a story that will fit what they think is a story. But this works at so many levels. Did, did all those levels just jump out at you at once? And, and what were the first uh, inklings that, that you had some a piece that really is of the historical moment? Well, ob- obviously we've been covering, especially I'm on the editorial board, and we've been writing a lot about COVID-19 and the impact on different communities. But certainly as a Latina, I had seen the impact on our community. Just from my timeline on my social media accounts, I've seen friends who have lost loved ones, acquaintances who have lost loved ones, people in my own family have gotten sick. Thankfully, they've recovered. But I see just, you know, time after time after time, the toll it's taking. And it was something I really wanted to write about. But I wanted to write about it in a way that would bring home the humanity of it, not just the numbers, not just the statistics, but the humanity and the idea that the toll this is taking will be a historic toll. It will have a long-term impact. And that's when I heard about Maggie's project. They, they already do great work there, collecting the oral histories of Latinos. And then a friend of mine let me know that they were also doing the, the voices of the pandemic, where they're specifically collecting stories of people, impact Latinos impacted by COVID. And I thought that would be a really good way to bring home the human loss, the human aspect of the story, and, and maybe make it a, in a way that would catch attention. And that really does add this depth to it because obviously we're dealing with COVID all around us, the economy, work, et cetera. So that's in our face. Uh, Additionally, we've got its role in the elections. So we are, of course, wrapped up in that. But what you do is you make it clear, though, that 50 years down the line, people will be looking back at this and this is a, like you mentioned, not just a historical moment, but I think it's powerful to see a Latino view of that. That seems to take it outside of a typical news story, not to dismiss one genre or the other. I kind of feel like you're bringing your writer skills 
to this format to make it do a lot of things at once. Is that fair to say? Well, that's what I'm trying to do. I hope it comes across <laughs> that way. Yeah, you know, it's kind of, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a journalist. So this is, you know, in journalism we collect all the facts and try to put the facts and make it as accurate as possible. But I'm also a columnist and an opinion writer, and part of what I see as my job is to bring the voices of people, not who are voiceless because no one is voiceless, Everyone has a voice, but whose voices are often marginalized or overlooked in mainstream media. And that includes the Latino community. Too often we are overlooked or we are silenced. And so I'm trying to bring that voice to the mainstream paper to to recognize the importance of our community and what's happening within the community. I think the other really wonderful aspect of this i don't want I'm, i don't want people to think that i'm well i'm jaded anyway so that that is what it is what it is but i <laughs> what i love too is that um the the Vosses project of course began chronicling the story of mexican american world war ii veterans but this was after the their stories were i want to dramatize it and say uh, evaporating in that dr rivas rodriguez said hey these these elders some of them are passing away let's catch their story this is wonderful because you have that same infrastructure doing something of the moment where we're in it now yes yes it's taking a very historical look at what's going on and and maggie was telling me that she really wants this to be a resource for journalists and for historians who will like you know, as I mentioned, 50 years down the road, we'll be able to come back and look at their archives and read and listen to and read the oral histories as they are happening. And that is so important for this moment because we're living through it right now. So most of us are just trying to get through it and help other people get through it. And we don't realize that the long-term impact, I think one of the reasons I wanted to write this as well is because I've been talking to people and hearing stories and reading stories about the impact on all communities of color, black community, the indigenous Native American community, and especially in the Native American community where they are losing Native Navajo speakers and other Native speakers, and that generation will never be replaced. And they're losing all those people now, and that made me think about the loss, that kind of generational loss that's happening. And you are going to share the essay with us, so we thank you for that. We'll close with that. But I guess my, my last question is not an exact question. We're hanging in this tension. We really wanted to talk to you at this moment as the polls are closing. So our voices are going to linger in the suspension right, right, before, <laughs> you know, right before the facts become concrete. So uh, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Um you know, the tensions in the air, uh, maybe excitement, maybe dread, maybe uh, I like that writing fires us up. So your writing did that for me. Uh, what, what are you feeling right now? <laughs> oh, I don't I think there's a lot of anxiety in the air. I think there are there is some I think there are some people feeling hope. I think there are people thinking that maybe things will change with this election. But I do think that there is a lot of anxiety hanging in the air right now. People don't know what's going to happen. And we don't know, regardless of the outcome of the election, what that will mean. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of my friends um, are thinking about, do I, do I have a passport I can use to get out of this country if this doesn't mm. go well? Mm. I mean, there, you know, I, I suspect that we'll all be... Uh, hanging on the edge of our seats for at least tonight and a few days to come. Well, and you make a great point, too, because besides passports, um, whatever happens tonight will dictate what the pandemic will be approached as, what the economy might look like, how Latinos are treated. So, yeah, here we are. Well, happy, yeah. happy yeah. to ride this storm with you and only our can save us. Really a pleasure talking to Monica Rohr, and we wish you continued success, and thanks for representing us, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. Stay safe out there.
mira y se toca y no dice nada de repente sentí algo llegó por mi espalda me sacudió voces fuertes tan enojadas pañuelo en mano para el hombre a cada mujer desaparecida cada muerta solitaria porque no hicimos nada puño en alto esto no va más no callaremos y aquí Independence from Coronavirus by Tony Diaz. It takes a lot of discipline to practice all the protocols to avoid catching COVID-19. That's logical. However, I face temptation during Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm certain my will is strong enough now, though, to face the challenges of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. I'm very proud to be Chicano, so of course... El 16 de septiembre has been a big deal for me since I was a kid. I grew up in Chicago. As a child, I remember my folks would always be excited to celebrate El Grito at La Concha in Grant Park downtown. I've lived in Houston for over two decades now, and I've come to love our Tejano traditions, which include taking my sons to see such things as the annual Fiestas Patrias Parade. It really hurt when COVID-19 forced the parade's cancellation, which is part of an over 50-year tradition. Additionally, most Hispanic Heritage Month programming moved online. But I, like many others, miss meeting to celebrate our culture in person. It's part of our customs with family. I tried my best to focus on creating programming online for Nuestra Palabra Latino writers having their say, including an event in every Houston City Council District to demonstrate that every Houston City Council District is Latino. When I began to miss commiserating, I would focus on creating more online events with poetry, literature, elected officials, community leaders, intellectuals, and on and on and on for 11 Houston City Council Districts. I was good. During this shutdown, the highlight of my day has been daily walks with my wife. 
We've been taking them ever since the gym shut down. This has become a great way to exercise, talk, and get closer. One day during one of our walks, she brought up the question sweetly. It caught me off guard. We had skipped birthdays, but the birthday of independence was a test. She missed her aunt, uncle, her cousins. They had called for her to possibly plan ahead to meet to celebrate Chilean Independence Day, September 18th. Could we? Should we? Again, I was caught off guard. I couldn't answer. I, of course, missed mole, jaime tortillas, tacos, enchiladas, familia. What could it hurt? We decided to let it stew and then chat about it during our walk the next day. The next day, I woke up, taught my course online. My wife alternates having to go into her office one day. She works remotely the next. This was her office day, so we could walk after she got back from the office. I had a Zoom meeting, a meeting on blue jeans, a meeting on WebEx. <laughs> my highlight of my day is to have lunch with my son, who is in high school, now online. My wife leaves us our favorite sandwiches. For me, I get the good ham and cheese with avocado, tomatoes, and good bread. My son, who is vegan, eats Satan, vegan cheese, spinach, wheat bread, but he really likes that stuff. This is our bubble. I asked my son about spending Independence Day with our family. My son was shocked. He asked me, why? How? After all the precautions we've taken? I tried to blame my wife. She misses Theo and Tia, I say. Call them, he replied. She misses Chilean empanadas, I told him. I'm vegan, Dad. He was not moved. It's Independence Day, I told him. Are you proud to be Latino? He laughed. I like to test his logical strategies and rhetorical strategies. I am so proud to be Latino, Papa, that I put my family first. Grandma could really get sick from COVID-19. We shouldn't go. I smiled. He was right. I raised him to be proud of his culture, to study so hard that he progresses and gets smarter than me. And when I need it, schools me too, so that his family can all progress. I prepared him to be independent. He must think for himself. And today, he showed me the right path. We must continue to choose to do what is best for all of us long term. We must be independent of coronavirus. We then arranged to set up a Zoom call from our five homes, sharing El Grito via Zoom and united as a family celebrating Chile, independent of coronavirus, so that our family would progress together. Of course, I want to remind folks, please do continue the disciplined approach to avoiding coronavirus. Use a mask, wash your hands, avoid big groups, avoid getting up out of the house, get tested. For more information, you can visit HoustonEmergency.org. You can also call 832-393-4220. Get tested. And let's all stay independent of coronavirus. Viva Mexico! de la independencia del coronavirus por Tony Díaz. Diariamente, con esfuerzo y disciplina, ponemos en práctica 
las medidas preventivas para evitar contagiarnos con el COVID-19. Sabemos que es lo que tenemos que hacer. Sin embargo, durante este mes de la herencia hispana, cuando celebramos nuestra cultura, familia y tradiciones más profundas, ha sentido la tentación de olvidarme de estas reglas y probablemente no soy el único. Por esto, me ha hecho reaccionar y prepararme mentalmente para mantener fuerte, especialmente ahora que se aproximan las fiestas del fin del año, el Día de Acción de Gracias, la Navidad y el Año Nuevo. Soy un chicano orgulloso de mis raíces, por lo que el 16 de septiembre siempre ha significado mucho para mí desde que era un chiquillo. Nací en Chicago y creciendo recuerdo que mi familia y nuestra comunidad celebrábamos grande el grito cada año. Recuerdo que miles de personas nos reuníamos en el escenario de la concha en el Grand Park de Chicago para recrear la ceremonia del grito con tanta emoción y orgullo que era algo que no podíamos perdernos. Ahora que he vivido en Houston por más de 20 años, he aprendido a valorar y hacer mías las tradiciones tejanas, como por ejemplo el desfile de fiestas patrias al que llevaba a mis hijos desde que eran pequeños. Por esta misma razón te duele en el corazón cuando sabes que se tiene que cancelar este desfile debido al COVID-19. Estas celebraciones y eventos tienen más de 50 años de historia y aunque hemos tenido que cancelar los eventos en vivo, hemos organizado un número de eventos en línea. Pero así todo, como muchos de ustedes, extraño el contacto con mi comunidad y las emociones de estas celebraciones en vivo de nuestra cultura. Sabiendo lo importante que es seguir celebrando nuestra herencia y cultura, me ha enfocado en crear programas que nos permiten conectarnos en línea. Por ejemplo, con el auspicio de la organización Sin Fines de Lucro Nuestra Palabra, organizamos 14 eventos en línea con gente de nuestra comunidad y representantes de Houston en cada uno de los distritos municipales de Houston. Gracias a estos eventos, nuestra comunidad se ha hecho presente para demostrar que nuestra cultura y gente son más importantes que nunca y que nuestra opinión cuenta. No nos podemos quedar de brazos cruzados lamentando nuestra realidad. Las posibilidades de seguir conectados son ilimitadas. Seguiremos cueste lo que cueste organizando eventos en línea como eventos de poesía, literarios, conversaciones con oficiales elegidos y líderes comunitarios cubriendo los temas que nuestra comunidad desea escuchar y solucionar. Mi rutina familiar también ha cambiado durante la cuarentena del coronavirus. Los momentos importantes de mi día son cuando salimos a caminar con mi esposa. Nuestras caminatas comenzaron cuando se cerró el gimnasio. Pero esta rutina de caminar a diaria se ha convertido en una excelente manera de hacer ejercicio, pero también de tomar tiempo para comenzar y acercarnos como pareja. En una de nuestras caminatas, mi esposa me preguntó delicadamente si podíamos visitar a su familia para celebrar el Día de Independencia de Chile. Me sorprendió la pregunta porque nos hemos cancelado cada una de las celebraciones familiares, incluyendo cumpleaños, almuerzos, etc. No sabía qué decirle, pero me di cuenta de que las fiestas del Día de Independencia son algo especial, no solo para mí como chicano, sino que también para chilenos, salvadoreños, hondureños, etc. Pero ¿qué podíamos o debíamos hacer? No sabía qué decirle. Había tenido que perderme el mole, las tortillas hechas en casa, los tacos enchiladas y las celebraciones de mi familia. Sin tomar una decisión, el día siguiente, almorzando con mi hijo menor, que también está estudiando en línea, le comenté acerca de la posible reunión familiar y me preguntó que cuáles medidas íbamos a tomar para protegernos y por qué íbamos a ponernos en peligro. Y lo peor, íbamos a poner en peligro a la grandma que se podía enfermar. Desde que empezó la cuarentena, estamos viviendo una realidad diferente. 
Mi esposa trabaja en casa en línea ciertos días de la semana y otros días va a la oficina en persona. Yo sigo enseñando en línea como lo ha hecho desde marzo. Mi esposa nos prepara sándwiches para almorzar para mí a mi hijo cada día y tengo que admitirlo, disfruto el poder almorzar como hijo menor. Pero la preocupación de mi hijo para la salud de la abuela me sorprendió. De hecho, culpé a mi esposa. Le dije, bueno, mi hijo, es que tu mamá extraña la familia y las empanadas chilenas. Bueno, a mi hijo eso no le importa mucho ya que es vegano. Realmente me quedé sin respuestas y me sentí orgulloso de mi hijo porque sabía que tenía razón. Ese día, cuando mi esposa llegó de la oficina, salimos a caminar en la tarde como cada día y conversamos otra vez del tema y decidimos que debíamos ser fuertes y postergar las celebraciones en persona para proteger a los que más queremos, nuestra familia, nuestra comunidad. Aunque cueste, debemos elegir lo que es mejor para todos. Debemos independizarnos del coronavirus. Pero me quedé pensando cómo podíamos reunir a nuestras familias y entonces se me ocurrió organizar una reunión por Zoom. Desde nuestra casa nos conectamos con cinco familias y así pudimos festejar el grito y la independencia de Chile vía Zoom, unidos pero protegiendo a nuestras familias. No nos olvidemos de lo que es más importante durante estos tiempos de pandemia, protegernos y proteger a los que más queremos. Las medidas de prevención deben seguirse diariamente aunque cueste. Y aprovecho de recordarles qué hacer para protegernos del COVID-19. Minimice el contacto con otras personas y evite salir de casa. Usar una mascarilla, una cubierta, distanciamiento social, manteniéndose al menos a seis pies de distancia de otras personas, lavarse las manos con frecuencia con agua. Hágase la prueba. Es gratis. No necesita seguro ni prueba de ciudadanía. Visite el sitio HoustonEmergency.org o llame al 832-393-4220 para obtener más información. ¡Y viva México! Pacifica is listener-sponsored radio. Listener sponsorship is an answer to the practical problem of getting better radio programs and keeping them. A focus on advertisers or the mass audience accounts for the mediocrity of corporate radio. With such mediocrity, improvement of radio is utopian. When listeners support the radio they enjoy, their choices become better. Listener sponsorship takes control of your radio out of the hands of companies and into the hands of the community. But maintaining this sort of radio requires you. Your pledge of support keeps KPFT on the air as a vital community resource. So call our membership department at 713-526-4000, extension 314, to become a member today. You can even go online at kpft.org to make your pledge. Your pledge is essential to keep listener sponsorship viable for generations to come. So call 713-526-4000 to support KPFT. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio, KPFT Houston. Tune in this evening at 8 p.m. to hear live election coverage from Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! Again, please stay tuned for this evening's live election coverage from Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! beginning at 8 p.m. You are listening to KPFT Houston. Did you know that you can double your value to KPFT as a listener sponsor by volunteering?